Well, this is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. And we are thankful that you can be here today for our time of worship on this wonderful Thanksgiving weekend. And if you are visiting with us, a very special welcome to you. And uh, one of the ways that uh, we would ask you to make your uh, presence known to us is uh, texting the word welcome to that number that's on the screen. Uh, or you can use the uh, connect card that's in the seat pocket in front of you. And I uh, would just love to know that you are with us. And uh, if you're uh, living in this area and you'd like to get more connected, we'd love to help you do that and uh, get to know you a little bit better. Uh, for all the different activities that are going on at Redeemer, we have our Redeemer uh, Life uh, newsletter that's uh, available uh, near the Welcome Center. There's uh, this week's activities listed uh, in our bulletin, and I just wanted to mention our giving tree. Uh, the tags uh, are supposed to be on that tonight, uh, so you'll see those if you'd like to take one of those tags and be a part of uh, giving to a, a local family. Uh, we'd love to have your help with that. They're supposed to be wrapped with a card by December 18, and really appreciate your help with that. Uh, just following the uh, worship service, uh, we have our middle schoolers joining with our kids' choir, uh, just like last week. And uh, with the adult choir uh, practicing after that, there's a little bit of a change as far as where Sunday school is. So uh, middle school, Sunday school is in the conference room, and adult Sunday school is in the uh, youth room. And uh, so just that one uh, different change. So I think that's all my announcements, so let's just take this moment to prepare our hearts as we come before our God. We have come together to exalt the name of our holy God. Hear the call to worship from Psalm 30. Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. Well, it's morning. And joy has dawned. Let us stand as we sing.
Lord Jesus, what a Savior, what a friend. We come thankful that you have welcomed us into your house, the opportunity that you've given to us that we might meet with you and recognize the greatness of who you are in contrast to every other uh, glory, every other false glory that this world offers to us. Lord, we thank you that your uh, bright glory outshines them all. And we would ask that as your Spirit does a work uh, in our hearts this day, that you would mold and shape us more and more in the image of Christ. Because we of all people have reason to sing to the Lord, for we exist to sing your praise. Amen. that king of all nations that calls us to come before him and to reflect on who we are and to, on what we've done uh, as sinners in need of a savior. And so we come knowing that we have been welcomed to come boldly before the throne of grace uh, to confess our sins and that he will forgive us our sins. And so we're going to do that using um, uh, some of the words of Jeremiah chapter 2 uh, for our unison confession of sin. Let us pray together. Holy God, we have exchanged our glory for that which does not profit. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked, be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For we have committed two evils. We have forsaken you, the fountain of living waters, and hewn out cisterns for ourselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Forgive us our sin by the blood of Christ and turn our hearts back to you. Amen. Well, as we have corporately confessed our sins to our great God, let us take a moment and confess in personal private prayer.
Most gracious Heavenly Father, as we meditate upon the words of Jeremiah 2 and as we consider how many different counterfeit glories this world offers to us and how we have tried to gain meaningful water from things that were never designed to give us a meaningful life. But we know that in our culture, we have a day of thanksgiving that is then overtaken by thoughts of covetousness in wanting to get more than we've had before, our thankfulness dissipating so quickly with not having enough and wanting more. And Lord, we know that more is never enough, that it's a never-ending abyss in our, our hearts. And we just ask that as we recognize the incredible need that we have for Jesus Christ, the one who we were designed to know, the one who we were designed to have a relationship with so that we might be filled with all the fullness that is yours in Christ. We just pray that um, you would draw near to our hearts and that we would know the power of that full love by faith. We pray in Jesus' most holy name. Amen. We have this wonderful promise from Ezekiel 36. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Well, it is only by that heart that we can truly know our great God. And so let us stand as we declare his praise.
Please join me in a prayer of thanksgiving. Knowing you, Jesus, knowing you, there is no greater thing. Now my heart's desire is to know you more, to be found in you and known as yours. Truly words we want to live by, yet we constantly fall short. And you, Lord, are always there to love us and guide us, to forgive us and lead us when we repent. This past week we set aside a day to give you thanks. We have so much to be thankful for, and yet we offer so little thanks. Forgive us all our shortcomings. Today, Lord, we give you thanks for this place of worship, for your divine guidance in our lives. You always know what we need and when we need it, for the beauty shown in your creation that you made for us to enjoy, for loved ones, family, and friends, for Christians around the world, for the food on our tables, our jobs, and our health. We are thankful to have the opportunity to share the gospel with others, and we ask that you would give us freedom and courage to speak up in a world that wants to silence us, that we would encourage and be encouraged, reminded that we need not fear because we belong to the Lord. We ask that you would open our hearts to receive your word, be with Pastor Jeff, that he may speak with boldness the word that he has prepared this week, and as we prepare for the offering, may we give from our hearts and may these gifts be used to your honor and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated.
a couple of things before we go to our Lord in prayer this morning. Uh, many of us have been praying for the bonds, and I'm glad to tell you this morning that Mary is now at home after her surgery earlier this week, and we rejoice with that. Um, that is a wonderful thing, and we pray for continued help, uh, health and healing for her. We also will pray, be praying this morning for my wife's appointment with her neurosurgeon on Wednesday. That's a follow-up to the brain scan she had um, to determine the size of that tumor. So we'll be praying for that. That appointment is coming up on Wednesday. And then we're also going to pray in thanksgiving to our Lord that this past week after we prayed for the jail ministry, um, there were 53 men who came last week to listen to that service, which is tremendous. We're really glad for God's ministry um, through our jail ministry. And then one other thing I want to note to you before we pray, and that is I don't usually say this, but I'm going to this morning. Um, if you didn't listen to our Thanksgiving service or you weren't here for that, let me just encourage you to do that. Um, this perhaps sounds bad, but I don't usually go back and listen to our services once they're finished. I think, you know, kind of done that. Now we'll move on to the next one. But the next morning, Friday morning, I did go back and listen to that service. There's wonderful singing, wonderful testimonies, the Word of God. And one of the things that really jumped out to me was the importance of the way that we care for each other as a congregation. There's a saying that a church planter once noted to me. He said, it's very hard for people to feel like they can believe until they have a sense they can belong. And that's true. It doesn't mean you can't come to faith without belonging to a congregation, but it is to say the two usually come together and the latter precedes the first in most cases. And so we're glad, I'm really glad, not just to be the pastor of this congregation, but to belong here as a member where we can care and love for each other. So let's turn to our God in prayer, thanking him for these things as well as praying for others. Father, one of the great truths that comes in your word time and again is that you are with us, that you are not absent from us. In fact, one of the great promises that we find in the Old Testament, a promise that is repeated through the Old Testament, literally from the book of Genesis through the end of the, New, of the Old Testament, is that we are your people and you are our God, which means that you have an attention to who we are and what goes on in our world. You care about us. You are not some divine being just sitting on the sidelines somewhere watching our lives unfold. But you have said that you are God who is very near to us. And we rejoice this morning in knowing that is true. We rejoice especially to know in the words of Jesus that not only you are God who is near us, but in Jesus Christ you have come close to us in your own Son. We begin this morning to celebrate the incarnation of Jesus, the coming of our Savior in body into this world. And we are glad this morning to be with others in this place of worship and to be joined by others over our internet stream to rejoice in the incarnation of Christ, that He is with us. In fact, Jesus said He would be with us to the end of the age. And one of the ways in which we sense that Jesus Christ is with us is when we gather with his people. In fact, Jesus said where two or three are gathered in his name, he is there also. So you are here by your spirit, Lord Jesus. And you are here even if this is the first time we have been present in this building. Even though we may feel in many other places in our world which we're, where we may feel as though we're very much alone. 
Maybe we have lost a spouse. Maybe we have lost a parent. Maybe our friends have abandoned us. Maybe we're facing incredible uncertainty in life. Maybe there's a job change. Maybe we're struggling to think about the next chapter of our lives. And we feel very much alone. Maybe it's because we invest a lot of time in social media where we know a lot about other people, but we're not really known ourselves. Maybe we have cultivated an atmosphere of distance with those who would be close to us. Maybe even our gatherings over Thanksgiving were with people who we know and who know us, and yet they really don't know who we are. Father, one of the great joys of belonging to Jesus Christ is that we are not hidden from Him. He knows everything about us. From, the literally, from literally the time that we've existed in this world until the time that we are finished in this world and we go even beyond, our God knows us. Which means that your care for us is far more careful and intentional than any care that anyone else can offer. Even the closest of friends, even our most well-beloved friend, maybe our spouse or child, not even them Not even they can care for us the way that you care for us by your Spirit. And we rejoice to know that. And we pray that again this morning as we bring others before you in prayer, that those of us who may not have particular prayer requests, but still have those burdens of our hearts, we would know as well that as we pray for some, we really are praying for us all that you would show your love and your care for us in so many ways. A love and a care that is not based on our performance, is not based on how well we have done, whether we are perfect people. No, your love for us is a love that comes simply because you are kind, because you have set your affection upon us, because you are a good God. We pray this morning rejoicing with the Bont family that Mary's surgery went so well and she's already at home. We pray for her recovery, that you would keep her from pain, and that soon she would be able to remove that neck brace that has become so much a part of her life. We pray that there would be no further complications. Instead, you would use this surgery in order to restore her to health and well-functioning in her, in her family, in her community, and also in our church. We pray this morning for the Kike family. We pray for Mickey especially that we rejoice that she is making good improvements in her recovery and we pray that we continue. Father, we rejoice for the care that she has been shown by members of our congregation. We are thankful, Lord, for her and we pray for her continued care. We rejoice along with the bakers that Everly came home last week. Father, you protected this little life along with her mother. And now we rejoice to see the way that she continues to grow and develop. Father, you are a good God. And we thank you for the way that you've demonstrated that in the baker's life. We pray for our brother, Zach Francois, and other math workers in Haiti. We pray that you protect them, Lord, in the middle of a very difficult, a very trying social and civil environment. Would you care for them and bless them? Would you protect them? And would you enable the gospel ministry that they do to continue and even prosper in the middle of this very trying time? We pray this morning for for Clarice Lorup. We thank you, Lord, that you continue to minister to her and love her, 
not only through her family, but also through members of this congregation. And again, we ask that you would bring a time when she can have a consultation with her surgeon. We pray that an appointment would come soon and that you would prevent any further growth of her tumor until that time comes. We also pray for Gail Stahl. Thank you, Lord, that her surgery went well. And we pray for continued recovery, that she would do well. And then we also pray this morning for Karen's consultation with her neurosurgeon on Wednesday. Father, we ask that there would be real wisdom and good advice about what steps may lie ahead. We pray that there would be a sense of trust and confidence and that you would use this doctor's advice to guide and to give a good sense of what the future may hold. And then we also are thankful this morning. We rejoice, Lord, in fact, with the angels in heaven above for the ministry that you're doing through those from our congregation who go into the jail. We pray for those last week, these 53 men who heard the gospel call. Many of them are in very, very difficult situations. And we pray that you would use that situation in order to open their heart to receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we pray that as a congregation, we would be a congregation that loves to speak the word of God, but also to minister to the needs of these men and their families. Father, you are a God who has welcomed us into your presence. And so Romans fifteen seven can say that we are called to welcome each other as you have welcomed us. And Father, you have done that. You have welcomed us into this body. And we are deeply grateful this morning that we belong to you, but also to those around us. And as we come to your word in a few, in a, a few moments, we need your assurance that you look at us through the eyes of grace. That you do not come to us in condemnation. There may be some of us who need to hear the hard words of truth. And we pray that you would speak those words to us. There are many others of us who need to hear those words of grace and assurance that in Jesus Christ you have not come to condemn the world, but that the world might live through him. We pray that you would open our hearts and use my words to speak that grace in a powerful and convincing fashion. Lord, you are a God who has given us your word that it might bring about new life. And we pray that's exactly what you would do through your word this morning. So thank you for hearing us, Lord, and promising to answer us according to your kind desire, for we come in Jesus' name, amen. This morning, we're opening our Bibles to Luke chapter 1. If you brought a Bible with you, I would certainly encourage you to open it to Luke chapter 1. You're also more than welcome to read these words as they're printed on the screen behind me. I just want to alert you to something very important, something I really delight in this time of year. When you came in, you received a bulletin, I hope. You'll notice that this is not the typical bulletin cover that we have during the rest of the year. During the Advent season, we ask artists in our church to create bulletin covers that connect with the passages that we'll be preaching on And these Advent Sundays. And so this morning's bulletin cover says, He will be great from Luke 1 verse 32. The passage I'll be preaching on in just a moment. And that cover was created by Gloria Ostema. 
and we're very, very thankful for her talent. So please pay attention, look forward to these other bulletin covers that help lead us to a consideration of the Word of God. We're very grateful for the talent God has given our church, and we rejoice to see it used in this way. So let's turn our attention, shall we, now to Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 33. We're going to be reading each one of these verses. I just want to alert you that I'll be focusing on the words that the angel says to Mary in verses 31 through 33. So when we get to that point, just note those will be the words that I will focus on. Let's begin at verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. This is the word of God. May he bless it this morning as I proclaim it to you. I hope you've had the opportunity to see one of these old films by John Wayne. It's called In the Sands of Iwo Jima. If you've seen that film, created in the 1940s, you know that John Wayne plays the part of Sergeant Stryker, a hard-nosed sergeant. He whips his men into shape before they head off for the battlefield. And then the story goes through at least two battles that his men face. And all the way along, John Wayne is the hero of the story. He throws munitions into the pillbox to destroy the enemy. He knows when to charge ahead and when to wait. He is undoubtedly a hero. You don't know just from this particular movie a hero. You see uh, movies and books of all sorts that talk about heroes. Maybe you read about heroes in your Marvel comics. Maybe you read Hamlets. Maybe you love history and you've read about Abraham Lincoln. Why do we love larger-than-life politicians? It's because they're heroes. And as one man has said very accurately, the human heart longs for heroes. We all long for those heroes. We have that innate desire for someone who is greater than we are. Someone who can help us and lead us. And if I were to say this morning to you that Jesus Christ is a hero, you might think to yourself, I'm minimizing his importance. And perhaps I would be. Because Jesus is no John Wayne. Jesus is not simply another political figure like Abraham Lincoln. 
I am not saying he is simply another hero. I am saying what the human heart longs for. That is, someone who is greater than we are, who is able and willing to help us. There is no one in all of the world like Jesus in his ability and willingness to do that. And as we enter our Christmas season, I want you to think through this passage with me. In fact, even the ones after this morning in Luke 1 and 2, as passages that were written to people who were longing for hope. They were looking for someone who was greater than they were and somebody who was willing and compassionate in his ability to help. And Jesus fulfills that longing. That longing that exists in my heart and in your heart and in the heart of humanity. That longing for someone who's greater than we are who can give us the help that we need. That's Jesus. And that is exactly what the angel Gabriel says to Mary in verses 31 through 33 of this passage. There are two ways he explains that. The first is by telling us who Jesus is. And then secondly, what Jesus does. If you're thinking with me about who Jesus is, I want you to look at verses 31 and 32 into verse 33 again. I'm going to read it to make sure you don't miss it. It says, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. Now, there are three things in what the angel says to Mary that tells us who Jesus is, that he is this one who's greater than we are, who can give us the help that our hearts long for. The first comes in this description of Jesus with the simple word, you will call his name Jesus. Now, automatically in my mind, when I hear the name Jesus, I want to repeat what Matthew says in chapter 1, verse 21. There, the gospel writer records, you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. But in the gospel of Luke, we don't read these words. It's not because the angel didn't say them, but because Luke doesn't record them. He has a different point he's trying to make. In fact, the name Jesus in the gospel of Luke receives very little attention at this point. It might be helpful for you to know that at the time this was written, there were many Jesuses walking around in Israel. Jesus was simply the Old Testament, or the New Testament version of the Old Testament Joshua. And just as we read about a number of Joshuas in the Old Testament, so there would have been a number of Jesuses at the time the angel was speaking. And so the narrative, the story here, is not focusing simply on the name Jesus. The emphasis is somewhere else, and that comes in the following verses. The first thing that the angel emphasizes is that Jesus will be great, he says. He will be great. Now that's the sort of language that we sort of banter around very easily, isn't it? Someone is great. Or I might say the turkey I had at Thanksgiving was great, even awesome. It can sound like hyperbole, perhaps, in our minds. 
But the writer here is not speaking in terms of hyperbole. He means legitimately that this child will be great. And not simply great in the way that other characters in the Bible are great. For example, in chapter 1, verse 15, John the Baptist is called great. In the Old Testament, in Exodus 11, verse 3, Moses, the greatest prophet of the Old Testament, is called great. But again, this Jesus is not great like everyone else is great. Naomi, here in this place, the angel Gabriel seems to be referring to Micah chapter 5, verse 4, where in the prophecy of this great prophet of the Old Testament, he foretells a time in which the coming Davidic figure would be great from the ends of the earth. Micah is saying that the one who is coming is not merely someone who is great and well-known and powerful. He is saying the greatness of the one who is coming, this Jesus, is going to be greater even than David himself. He was not only great in Israel, but this Jesus will be great to the ends of the earth. And in that way, the angel Gabriel is saying he's not merely Moses. He's greater than John the Baptist. He's not even... As great as David, he is far greater than any of them. He is worldwide great. Again, I don't mean to speak in a way that sounds perhaps like we hear in political speech. He was great. I will be great. I mean it in the most serious sense. The angel is emphasizing how powerful, how wonderful, how amazing this child will be. The second thing he says is that he will be called Son of the Most High. Again, in this place, the angel is emphasizing a connection to a description in the Old Testament. There are places in the Old Testament where human beings are described as sons of the Most High. For example, in Psalm 82, verse 6, the psalmist says, You are sons of the Most High. But in this place, the angel Gabriel is pulling on something that is more than an ordinary description in the Old Testament. In 2 Samuel 7, verse 14, God promises to a future descendant of David that I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. It is this sort of particular relationship that Gabriel is telling Mary that her child will possess to the Most High God. This child is more than a mere human being. He is a fulfillment of a promise that has lasted for generations. He is the final fulfillment of that promise that God made to David in 2 Samuel. Or to put it this way, the angel saying to Mary, here he is. This is the one. He is great, so great that he can legitimately call, be called the Son of the Most High in the way that God spoke in 2 Samuel chapter 7. I almost feel as though words are failing in my attempt to emphasize the greatness, the uniqueness of what Gabriel is saying to Mary about Jesus. It almost feels as though this feels routine. Like you've heard this before. 
Like this might not be the first time you've heard it, but you've heard it a hundred times before. Can you try to clear away the space in your mind and hear this new? If you can imagine your mind like a chalkboard, that dates me, I understand, a whiteboard, and you're wiping that whiteboard clear, clean, removing from your mind sort of the normalcy of what I'm saying, And right on that board in your mind, Jesus is great like no one else. Jesus is the Son of God like no one else. That's what the angel is saying. The third thing that the angel says about who this Jesus is is perhaps the most impressive and specific of all. He says, And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. Gabriel is saying that Jesus will be a king like no one else. You have to appreciate when verse 27 opens, the verse that I began reading with you this morning, Gabriel is coming to a relatively small village a number of miles, perhaps 50 miles or so from Jerusalem. He is coming to a young woman who is probably known by very few people. It's a relatively unimportant village to an unimportant woman. And it is to this woman, sort of an unimpressive setting, that he brings this great news that the child that she will bear will be like anyone else. He will be great, he will be son of the Most High, and he will reign from the throne of David. This sort of reigning is a reoccurring theme in the Gospel of Luke. Chapter 1, verse 69, a little later in this chapter, refers to David's house in Zechariah's prayer of thanksgiving. The birth narrative in chapter 2 that we'll think about in some later sermons talks about Jesus being born in the city of David and being a member of David's house David is at the center of the genealogy of Jesus in chapter 3, verse 31. David is a prominent character in the early chapters of the Gospel of Luke. But the question you might ask yourself is why? Why is David so prominent? Why does it matter so much? And why would I say this is perhaps the most impressive of all the things that Gabriel says about Jesus, that he will reign as a descendant of David and sit on his throne? In order to understand the impressive nature of that, I want you to think for just a moment about the expectation attached to the house of David in the Old Testament. The Israelites understood that David was the greatest of the Old Testament kings, as impressive as Solomon was in his wealth, or Hezekiah in his military exploits, there was no one like David. David was the king of all of the Old Testament kings. And after David died, the Israelites endured many generations and many kings who were far less than David was. You might say they had generations of disappointments. They had terrible kings, political rulers, but they also had horrible religious leaders. There was rebellion, there was war, and then there was captivity. And you can imagine the Israelites sighing within themselves, wondering, where is our help going to come from? 
When will the son of David arrive? When will 2 Samuel 7 verse 14, when will that finally be fulfilled? And while they waited, we read in other places in the scriptures that they placed their confidence, their hopes in other people beside the coming king. Maybe it was another human king. Maybe it was in other world powers. Maybe it was in some other great force that they believed could deliver them and help them. And over and over and over the story of the Old Testament that precedes what we're reading here in the Gospel of Luke is a story of disappointment. Rather than trusting in God and the coming of the Messiah, instead they looked all over the, all, all over the world to other sources of comfort and hope. Until we read the angel Gabriel saying to Mary, the son of David has arrived. It's hard for me to overestimate for you this morning how significant these words would have been to the listeners of Luke's gospel. If I can just say something very simply to the children, many of you are perhaps already anticipating what you will receive at Christmas. I want you to put in your mind all those things that you're hoping for, the grandest possible thing, the thing that would exceed your wildest imagination. Maybe your parents actually bought you a horse. (laughs) And you think that would be the greatest possible Christmas presents. That pales in comparison to what we're talking about in this message from the angel Gabriel. This who of who Jesus is is more than just a mere human being. He is more than just another king. No, he is a fulfillment of the expectation of his people for one who is greater than they are and yet one who can offer them genuine hope. Perhaps I need to say something to the adults. Maybe that would be perhaps more fitting in this case. I don't want you to think about the Christmas presents you're anticipating. I want you to think about where you place your hope, where you place your sense of where your hope will come from. Maybe it is literally in another person. You've placed your hope in some political leader or perhaps a spouse or a friend. Maybe your hope is placed in your ability to care for yourself, your money, your power, your prestige. Maybe your hope is in your fighting spirit. I've just got to press ahead. I can do it for myself. Do you realize that that hope is dashed over and over and over again? That as much as you might hope in someone else or yourself, that hope is never fully realized? It's like the child who wakes up on Christmas morning and tears open the packages and by later that afternoon looks at all the things that he or she has received and thinks, and is this all? Is this it? Is this really the fulfillment of my expectations? What I'm here to tell you this morning is that it isn't. Those things, all of those things, whether possession or power of people, all of those things will fall short of meeting the expectation you have for genuine hope. Which leads me this morning to tell you in the final verse, the words of Gabriel to Mary, what Jesus does. 
Verse 33 says, And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. You notice that the angel says two things. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will never end. Both of those phrases are limitless. Both of those phrases are meant to emphasize to you, first, the care that this king would bring. He would reign over the house of Jacob, the people who lived in anticipation of one who was coming, who looked around and said, there is no one who's fulfilled the hope that I long for. Who is it going to be? Gabriel says, he perhaps whispered, but I will say it, not shout it. I want to shout it. Jesus is him. Jesus is that fulfillment. Jesus is the one who meets the hope and the expectation that we wrongly place in others. Jesus can bear your expectation, my friend, unlike anyone else can. And when Gabriel says to Mary, he will reign over the house of Jacob, he is saying he will reign over the house of the people of God forever. There's no end to it. There's no limit. It goes on forever and ever and ever and ever. I can't help but think as I'm talking to you this morning that when I was in high school, I also had a hero. <laughs> Please don't laugh when I say this. My hero was Kirby Puckett, who played center field for the Minnesota Twins. He was about five foot six, rather round. He defied every expectation in terms of what a major league player looked like. But he led the Twins to two World Series, 86 and 91. When I looked at him, I thought to myself, if this little round man can play in the major leagues, me as a tall, skinny kid who's very uncoordinated and can barely hit a baseball, I can do great things too. But do you realize there came a point in 1996 where Kirby Puckett went to spring training and he lost his eyesight. One eye, he couldn't see anymore. He was gone. Four surgeries later, still couldn't see. His career was over. A few years later, he was accused of domestic violence. A few years after that, of assaulting a woman in a bathroom. And just a few years after that, Kirby Puckett died. Kirby Puckett did not go on forever. As much as I placed my hope that I could be like him, that he could help me and meet the need that I had to be someone great, he failed. And every hero that we erect in our hearts, hoping that someone will care for us and meet the need that we have, will also fail. They cannot go on forever, they are limited. Only Jesus is limitless. Only Jesus cares for you, not just now, but tomorrow and forever. Only Jesus is a kingdom that will never end. Embodied within this forever and will never end, this kingdom is a very important idea that I want to make very clear to you. 
When Gabriel says this to Mary, he is emphasizing to her that this Jesus is more than just a human being. Human beings and every single one of them has. There are minor exceptions with a few people in the scriptures, but when it comes to our experience, every single one of us who is sitting in this place, everyone who's listening to my voice, your time is going to end. And when the angel says to Mary, his kingdom will last forever. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. There will be no end. He is building her expectation and she understands as we'll read in further passages that the baby that she is to be that she will bear that she will give birth to is not simply another joshua not simply another jesus he is in fact divine and the reason i emphasize that to you this morning is because all of us have this sneaking suspicion That if there's someone who's really that great, someone who is the Son of God, someone whose kingdom shall never end, what in the world would someone who's so great and so powerful, someone who is God himself with all that moral perfection, what would that divine being want with me? One of the things that the incarnation may communicate to you is a sense that your God is so holy and so great and so set apart that there is no connection between you and this God. In fact, many world religions emphasize the greatness of the divine, the superiority of the divine, so that there is very little relationship between the divine and the human, but not Jesus No, the very fact of the incarnation means that our Savior came to us. We did not ascend into heaven and bring Him down. No, the Bible says He came down to us in all of His greatness to be here to help us even though He is far greater than we are. To put it in the language that I've been using this morning, It is not only that we have one who is greater than us who can help us, but we have one who is greater than us who can help us and is gracious to us when He comes. We are in our lives very familiar with being disappointed. Again, perhaps some of us will be disappointed when we open our Christmas gifts. Others will be disappointed in this time of year that the kids didn't come back home and their excuses were rather shallow. Others will get to the new year, look back at Christmas and feel like it was a lot less than we had hoped it would be. But this morning and the first Sunday that we anticipate the coming of Jesus Christ, I want to give you hope in something that you will never Never be disappointed in. In the incarnation, we have a Savior, Jesus Christ, who is great and powerful, perfect, holy, majestic, God Himself. But in His grace, He comes to us to help us. To the very point the Scripture says that He laid down His life 
for you. That is, my friend, great Christmas hope. Let's bow in prayer. Father, there are many places in our lives where we are looking for hope that never seems to be fulfilled. Maybe we place that hope, expectation on the spouse or a friend and they have failed. Maybe we're looking to a political leader. Maybe we're looking to a power that we possess or some kind of possession. Lord, in every one of these places, we sense that disappointment because there's no one like Jesus. There's no one who can genuinely possess the power with the ability to care and to offer it to us graciously like our Savior. Which means there is no one who is listening to my voice, who is beyond the stretch of our Savior's hand. No matter what we have done, where we have come from, no matter how fragile we might be, no matter how rebellious we have been in the past, the message of the Incarnation is that Jesus has come to save sinners like us. And we pray both in our meditation on this passage as we go home, as well as the messages that we hear in coming weeks anticipating the day that we celebrate Jesus' birth would be filled with deep and rich and genuine hope. Father, we look to you for that. And we're thankful for the way you've given it to to us this morning. And we praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and sing with me, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel.
Just a reminder that after the service is finished, the middle school children will be joining with the children's choir to practice uh, in this space, and then the adult choir will practice here. Adult Sunday school will be at the end of the hallway in the youth room. Uh, The final session of new members class will also be held this morning. That will be in my office, which is also in that office suite. If you're interested, just come and see me. Receive this blessing from our God as we leave worship. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Amen. Thank you.